0: what's up guys this is matt from the human animal podcast back again out in the garage i really like our setup out here
1: i really like it out here it's 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 nice to have the fresh air
0: yeah plus it's just been gorgeous here the last couple weeks so just soaking it in man why not yeah appreciating it so um we are down a man nathan miller rest in peace oh no not really (laughs) Just, at, just, work. just, just rest at work, just at work. But I yeah. mean, rest piece peace. I mean, I'm hopefully it's restful. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be stressed out at work, especially Writing on a Friday. Writing some blog posts. Yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> the best job in the world. See, he's going to dipping. work and r- write blog posts and just do his own thing.
1: That's why he's killing it with his brother now.
0: Yeah, his brother's doing some awesome stuff. So yeah. again, I know we pump his pot his uh, blog, but it's actually really good. It is really it's good. Nate Miller Fitness. They're putting out really high quality content. You should definitely check it out. Um,
1: he's so dang smart.
0: I know. I hate it.
1: It's awesome. <laughs>
0: uh, we were going to have uh, Travis Graves on the pod today. I think we got our wires crossed. So this means it's it's a Jake and I uh, throwback episode.
1: Free ball session. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going to cut that out, but I, I'm <laughs> considering it. Um, we're just going to... And, and actually, we just sat down and started talking, and, and Jake brought up... A question. You want to just tell everybody what what you were thinking about? Sure.
1: Uh, we were discussing, you know, athlete training and really just training in general. And you know, how much training is is too much, right? Where where is that that limit as to where you're going to see benefits, um, but you know, you're not overtraining. You know, we're not doing more harm than good.
0: Yeah. And do you want go ahead and go into that specific example? I mean, I think it's fine you can just talk about it
1: sure sure um, so I've, I've been meeting with a lot of swimmers lately um, and they're doing just massive amounts of uh, of volume in the pool um, upwards of you know thirty four miles on a weekly basis you know um, doing two days you know two session or two hours in the morning two hours in the evening um, of you know, from all of the athletes I spoke with of pretty high intensity, uh, when I asked them on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being absolutely just killing themselves, they couldn't possibly go any harder. And one being just, you know, a leisurely walk, um, you know, uh, probably a majority of them, uh, told me they're about an eight right between a, between a six and an eight. Um, so it, it, at a high intensity for four hours a day, um, So, you know, I I found that I found it difficult to to think that that was good for them and that they were that was the the most beneficial training method.
0: And this is actually uh, a good question, because I just had a couple coaches come up to me this week um, from force and be like, so how do you respond to people who ask about overtraining or ask the question, how much should I train? right? And we've answered this a couple times in different ways, but I think this will be a nice way to kind of sum up some ideas I have on it um, and just kind of go through it. So first off, uh, overtraining. Let me pull up my little thing here because I have a little thing, early signs of overtraining. It's wonderful. So... Overtraining, basically what we're talking about with overtraining is that with training you create a stress, um, uh, a stimulus for the body to adapt to, and that adaptation takes time. So actually your fitness level or your readiness level is going to decrease slightly after a workout or after exercise or movement and then as your body rebuilds it's going to rebuild itself stronger this is the process of hormesis of having a stress and responding to it and actually becoming stronger and more resilient afterwards
1: mm-hmm. and we seek that that we seek the adaptation not necessarily the stress right the the stimulus is the exercise but it's that adaptation, that recovery process that we we're really looking for.
0: Yeah, the adaptation recovery process, the stress, and so this is what we ca- talk about: minimal effective dose a lot. And this is something that's going to come up a lot in this podcast. Minimal effective dose is the idea that you cause just the right amount of stress to have the a- the wanted adaptation. Okay, um, because any more than that is wasteful and potentially harmful. It's it's a lot like medicine or vitamins or anything else. Like there's a it's a dose, uh, dose, dose, dose dependent response. So more isn't necessarily better. Less isn't necessarily better. You need to have that kind of find that sweet spot right in the middle where you're going to get the maximal benefit for your input.
1: So you're saying like whether I was to come in the gym and you just absolutely murder me and I'm crawling out. Right. Or if I come into the gym and I work, to, you know, just outside of my comfort zone, you know, a stress that minimum effective dose, um, you know, which one is going to make me
0: better later? Uh, the, the latter. Yeah, minimal effective dose. Because even though you crush yourself, your body only has so much uh, capability or ability to respond and adapt to the stressor at any given time, and you can overwhelm your body's adaptation uh, systems, which is basically what overtraining is. It means that either the workouts are too intense, they're too long in duration, they're too high in volume, or they're too frequent. And those repeated stresses over time drive down the body's ability to respond adequately and adapt to those stresses. So um,
1: That's really the benefit of, of things like anabolic
0: steroids, right? Yes. Helps
1: you recover faster. Yes,
0: that would be, that, yeah. Uh, we actually just, you know, uh, Derek and I, another coach at Force, and I were just talking the other day. We were doing gorilla squats in one of the workouts, and we both realized we. Re- I really like pounding my chest. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> I think we should do it more often. And uh, I think you probably see a, an increase in gorilla growth hormone, you know, <laughs> after that. So, I mean, try it out. What a bad joke. This is what <laughs> happens when Nate's not here. Jeez. Digging. really scraping the bottom of the barrel so uh overtraining is going to be a prolonged and overtraining is serious most people are going are going to be in the uh, not yet to overtraining but in overreaching most of the time and planned overreaching where you add a little bit more stress than the body is used to dealing with and kind of give yourself a prolonged recovery period after that period of overreaching can be okay but overtraining is a very, is a prolonged state that's really difficult to get out of you'll see uh, adrenal function uh, go way down sleep can be uh, very messed up at night really hard to get to sleep tired and wired and here are just a couple of um signs of overtraining depression and anxiety Elevated resting heart rate, lack of energy, sluggishness, or exhaustion, lack of uh, or reverse of progress, so you're not making any gains. Loss of libido, mood swings and irritability, and weight gain. Those are pretty serious symptoms. Now, those symptoms are obviously general. So just because you have one of those symptoms doesn't mean you're overtraining, but it's something to to consider especially if you're having multiple th- of those things happen at the same time. So it's check engine lights. And it's really interesting to think about, uh, just like we were talking about dose-dependent uh, dose curve, one of the signs of overtraining is that you're not making any progress or you're actually losing progress. So even though you're putting more and more work in, you're getting less and less benefit from it into the fact that you're actually getting negative benefit.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, when, uh, we're, when we're in the gym and we're exercising, we're we're breaking our body down and it's that time when we're recovering that we're getting better so if you're constantly in a cycle of of breaking yourself down and you never have time to fully recover then how do you expect yourself it's like taking one step forward two steps back yeah right And you're just moving in the wrong direction
0: so then the next the next thing is now that we know some signs of overtraining how, you know what is overtraining to the to an individual person and this is where it gets tricky and this is really the the question like how much should i should i work out or how much should i exercise and it really you should exercise as much as you need to not as much as you can that's tough right? that's that's the first part the second part is that you know i also think of overtraining as a symptom of under recovering okay so um not giving yourself long enough period to recover from a stimulus or not paying attention to sleep and other stresses in your life and nutrition and recovery strategies such as uh, meditation or uh, foam rolling or whatever else you're doing, right? All of these things, body work, getting body work done, all of these things play into uh, how much you are going to be able to recover in between Workouts. I think a large part of like an athlete, professional athletes' uh, ability is that they have insane ability to recover, paired with the fact that they their lives are built around their workouts and their movement schedule. So they're going to have naps in the middle of the day. They're going to have their food taken care of. They're going to be looked after by you know massage therapists and and PTs and doctors and for the average person out there, we don't have that kind of schedule. We don't have access to those things, and we probably aren't at the top of the gene pool in the recovery area. So, it's really individual based on all those factors, but in most cases, less is more for most people.
1: And and you know, with that, you'd see a better result from spending your time, uh, investing your time in preparing High quality food, getting really good sleep, making sure that you are you know being mindful, you know do, doing things like meditation, you'd see a better result or a, a better return on your investment than you would if you just spend additional hours in the gym and kind of forego those other parts.
0: Yeah. This all comes back. I mean, it's really simple. Listen to your body. I know the. The, well, at least the the instruction is simple. the The actual execution can be difficult because we become so disconnected with how our bodies are feeling and what is a normal state of being, right? And so this is uh, this is why I would go back to the episode two episodes ago when we talked about uh, how to coach you and your client, yourself and your clients, to long term success. Having our six pillars: uh, movement, food, mindfulness, rest community, nature. Those are our six pillars and looking at those things and, and picking the thing where you can, you can get the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, I think overtraining happens a lot of times when people ignore those other factors, just like we said, and they're so focused on the training aspect. Mm-hmm. Another thing that can happen with overtraining is actually under eating. Mm-hmm. Cause again, like if you're not providing your body, the nutrition it needs to thrive, uh, we can see that overtraining come in pretty hardcore. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I and uh, just to give you a range of examples i have uh one client who has um, been dealing with some thyroid issues okay and for her she dropped from 2 days a week to 1 day a week of training of strength training and feels awesome energy is up she's making strength gains Most people would think one day a week is not enough of a stimulus or exercise to get anything accomplished, but for her, it's perfect, right? And that just took a little bit of trial and error of me checking in with her every day. How are you feeling? How's your body feeling? You know, how have you been feeling the rest of this week? Asking those simple questions, just getting a sense from her because she knows best, right? She knows more what's going on than I do, and I need that information in order to help her. So that's one example. Then you yeah
1: and i'm thinking you know when somebody is is in the gym with a dedicated uh training you know training for an hour you know once a week while you may think like oh you you have to spend more than an hour a week training well it depends on what the rest of your life looks like. You yes. know, are you active in your your day to day?
0: Exactly. And what is what is your body's capability of responding right now? I mean, it's it, you really have to be mindful and pay attention. And sometimes it takes those. That's why I like the the mindfulness piece. It's another reason because mindfulness and a lot. Of it's it's not. We don't view it as vacancy, right? Which mm-hmm. is some which is part some meditation practices view it as like vacancy almost. Mm-hmm we view it as really, like, hyper-awareness of the present moment, including your body. That internal awareness is really important to being able to, um, to do well with exercise. And I think that a lot of, like, the people that end up doing well or the people that have been in it for a long time, like myself and Nathan and you, uh, we've become really aware of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of our, our benefit. So we have, that's one example. Then we have other people that are in that two to three day, two to three times a week range, and they're making great progress. We have people that will go from three times a week and bump up to four or five with their other activities and still be okay. But we'll also have people bump up to four and five and just be like, I'm sluggish. I'm tired. I don't feel good. And they'll drop back down to two or three and feel much better. Then you have what I would consider more getting up into more of that elite athlete range and these are people i mean i'd even put like will in there i mean he was an athlete for a long time still is still is uh and spencer and those guys i mean they work out olympic weightlifting six times a week Mm -hmm. sometimes with two a days and you're like wow that's a ton of volume yeah but it's specific to that person the type of activity they're doing a
1: very intelligently uh, developed training program yeah
0: exactly and they they cycle their intensities throughout the whole week they're moving and that's the difference it's also because it's, it's not just a matter of what you're doing it's how intense you're doing it how frequently it's all those things have to come into uh uh into focus and i think of you know a really simple way because there's lots of different elements like you could go volume intensity frequency duration time all these different things uh at, we have a really simple way of of thinking of it, we just break it down to three elements: volume, intensity, complexity. And I would I would put like frequency within that volume, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and then you have Olympic athletes at the Olympic Training Center that are doing two a days or three a days, prepping for their event and doing massive amounts of volume. But again, it's the intensity. Is modulated. The recovery is different. This this lifestyle is different. Um, you know, and so this kind of gets to your question about these kids coming in and and talking about swimming, right? So it, it depends. It's going to depend on the individual kid. My initial thought is it's too much training and too much specific training. When we look at the long term development of athletes, and this is something we've talked about before. Uh, the athletes that do the best with the least amount of injuries are doing multiple sports, beca- not because it's so much more time, but because it's a different stimulus. They're not only riding one movement pattern or one path, one energy pathway all the time, um, and they're getting. They're usually still having fun with it. It's still playful for them. They enjoy it. Because kids, when kids get burned out, guess what? That's overtraining. When they're tired and they're like, I don't want to do my sport anymore, they got overtrained. That's why. It wasn't because they lost the, the, the joy or they don't enjoy that sport anymore. It's that their body literally, like, it's, I mean, they lose the joy, but not because they, they don't enjoy sport. It's because they don't enjoy how you are implementing the sport to them. Mm-hmm. And we have seen an incredible rash of uh, injuries To our young athletes, that is just mind-boggling. It's disgusting. ACLs, Tommy John's. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. If you look at the statistics, it's crazy. And what has changed? Well, I, you know, it's so much has changed that it's a very, it's a complex situation. I don't want to oversimplify it because we never want to be black or white. But I think one issue, like you're saying, is that we have a lot of coaches now that are saying, hey, if little Johnny wants to succeed, they need to be in my program 10 to 12 hours, 20 hours a week, year-round. Um, and that program is not looking at the long-term development of these athletes and looking at building that movement base of making sure, like, if, if your kid can't bear crawl contralaterally, do you think they should be doing 20 hours in the pool where they're doing contralateral motion the whole time? Alternating swimming and kicking? Like, no. Should they be running? No. Um, and just so, you know, the the athletes that are at the elite level, um, which is where I think a lot of these parents hope that their kids can get to at some point, even if they're realistic about it, I think there's still a little kernel of hope in them that maybe the athlete will become elite.
1: How about the, the athletes who are in middle school but play at a, you know, quote unquote, elite level? Is that an elite athlete?
0: I would go back to our original, our podcast talking about Train Like a Girl. Uh, Eva T's recommendation. If you're not getting paid, you are not an athlete. Period. You're so really, yeah. I still think even at the middle school level, you have, there's such a wide pool it's really hard to judge what where the ceiling is there. And I and I think that getting caught up in middle schoolers having a schedule like elite athletes do when they're in a different developmental stage gets us in big trouble.
1: Yeah, we're training them like Olympians. We're training
0: them like Olympians. And because we see that and we mimic that, but it's you don't see that the Olympians were just playing out in the yard. Like Bo Jackson. Uh, famous athlete, he never lifted a weight in his life. He just plays a ton of sports, throws rocks around, runs around, and that was his training. He didn't worry about getting tons and tons of practice in or tons and tons of training in. I mean, it's just, and I'm not saying that there isn't a genetic component there, but I think that he did, like, he's another example of just how you can build that giant movement base. Now, I mean, the other thing is when you see, uh, like, a gymnast, spend eight hours in the gym, Olympic gymnast, and they're doing these crazy holds, iron crosses, other like what we would consider very intense, very complex movements. For them, that's skill work. For other people, it's strength work and very intense. They have got such a large movement base and conditioning base over a 10-year period of time that the intensity of those movements, even though their volume is high, the intensity of those movements is low for them. It's relative intensity, right? It's not about overall intensity. It's all about relative intensity. And so judging what they do, again, and applying it to a younger population is just trouble. Now, I don't know enough about swimming in particular or, you know, many sports outside the ones that I've played to know what type of volume is, you know, like a normal volume for swimming or not normal, but maybe optimal. Like I wouldn't be able to judge that, but I, but I can say without a doubt that across the board, if we looked at our young athletes and got them moving in ways other than the sports and built the movement base and let them recover better and listen and listen to their feedback on how they're feeling after these, exercise sessions and movement sessions and workouts we'd be doing a much better job
1: yeah particularly in the reduction of injuries you know throughout the lifespan of that athlete
0: yeah if you're if your athlete gets a serious injury that's not like especially a non-contact injury dude something's going on you need to really look at that Mm -hmm. um so i as that applies to adults, you know, adults need to consider the same thing. Go back and listen to that little uh, that blurb about Train Like a Girl too. about Eva T's three separations. You have exercisers, recreational athletes, and professional athletes. And professional athletes are those getting paid. Recreational athletes, there's a lot of them, but they don't recognize themselves in that category. And it's important to just know, hey, am I willing to sacrifice what – the things that my body might have to sacrifice in order to achieve this goal. As long as you're willing to make the sacrifice and you're aware of it, I'm cool. Like we're good. We can get you there, but you just need to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and, and for our, our young kids, like, I don't know. I just, it's, I know that I I have my opinions and I, I know what I'm going to be doing with my boy. So.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think enough people put enough emphasis on the other factors outside of the gym because they may not be as like immediately, and, and they are. But I don't. You look at getting a really good night's sleep, and how do you like? Man, I trained so hard yesterday. Oh yeah, what'd you do? Well, I got a lot of sleep, and I ate really good food. You know, it's it's hard. I like that. It's hard to, to think of it. I in like it way, though. Right? Yeah, it's good. Man, I I did I did so much work last night. I got to bed early, and I had a giant
0: steak. Yeah,
1: ton of veggies. So I'm I'm way better today because of it. Yeah. Compared to man, I was in the gym for for six hours yesterday. I'm practicing. exhausted
0: today. Yeah. I must have done so much work. Yep. <sighs> yeah.
1: So we got to change our mindset.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, things that you can do to kind of test your readiness state on any given day. Um, there are lots of different options. One is to keep track of your resting heart rate in the morning. And if you see like above a 10% jump in one day or over a period of time, uh, you're probably you're overtraining because the heart rate, hopefully as we train is going down or staying around the same because you're getting more efficient.
1: How long do we need to test it to get a
0: good baseline? Oh, man, that's someone. That's like a question we should ask Maria if we can get her on here for stats still mm-hmm. sometime. Mm-hmm. I would just say personally, like, I would get a month of data before I'd start taking action mm-hmm. unless it looked really bad. Yeah, if it's fluctuating every day by a lot, something's yeah. going on. Uh, heart rate variability. If you're someone who has a young athlete – or someone who has a high amount of training volume, I really find that the heart rate variability is perfect for you because it's that two and a half minutes in the morning, you're measuring your heart rate. It's going to, um, give you a readout green, yellow, green, amber, red on what your ready state is for that day. And that might just give you more awareness as as to what your training load plus every other stress in your life or, or lack of recovery in your life is going to uh, play into the picture. Um, you can do even more simple tests like we've talked about this before, handshake. Like, hey, give you give your kid a handshake every morning, like a really firm handshake when they leave. And and if they can't give you a firm handshake back, they're probably overtrained that day. Vertical jump. Uh if your vertical jump drops, your central nervous system probably isn't firing very well. And you could be in a state of overtraining. Uh, maybe there's a big rock in the yard. You go and pick that up. And on days where it feels really easy, you know, Hey, I can go hard when days when you're just like, Oh my gosh, I don't even feel like I can get this off the ground a day over training or overreaching. So you want to stop in that point of overreaching and not make it into overtraining.
1: And if you've been training for a, a good period of time, you probably know how you feel. You get a pretty good sense. You know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, when, when you're pretty seasoned, you know, going into the gym how do i feel today i'm just not feeling great well then you need to you need to you know scale things back a little bit or you know take it i mean easy the switch.
0: other the other thing is um deload weeks how many people take deload weeks we have people that have been training consistently hard three to five days a week for years never taking a week where they reduce volume or intensity or just do some movement or just do something different I mean the professional athletes like NBA players that last the longest they in the off season they don't play basketball. They go and do a ton of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know they take time or at least a couple months to to do different things. It's like Tim Duncan I think he like goes swimming and he plays I forget what he plays. We play some other random sport just for fun. And like that's what you need. You need that break. You need that reload. I don't even like deload cuz when I say deload people are always like oh, I'm just not working hard enough. It's that same mindset coming back to haunt us. But if we use the word reload, no, this is the time when you're reloading your ammo, when you're getting ready so that you can fire on all cylinders the next week. That changes uh, the game. People wonder why they go on vacation, and they don't work out at all, and they come back, and they feel stronger, and they're like, oh, man, that was lucky. Yeah. Lucky. Lucky. Uh, no, you just actually let yourself recover. So... Uh, that was one thing. Oh, second thing. You had another question about squatting, Mm -hmm. squatting every day. Yeah. You know, really doing any exercise every day. I've heard trainers
1: say that your abs are fatigue resistant, so it's okay to train them every
0: single day. Or, you know, maybe that, that, you know, I see people squatting every day. So it all depends again on the same thing we talked about before, volume, intensity, complexity, frequency. Um, there's a really cool program called Easy Strength by Dan John and Pavel Satsalin. And their entire idea is that you you deadlift every single day, but you're deadlifting at an easy weight. And so you're building strength through volume, not intensity. Where we see people get in trouble is when they don't, they don't play with those things. So, like, if I have a high-intensity workout, that needs to be low-volume. If I have a high-volume workout, that needs to be relatively low-intensity. Mm-hmm. Or I can go moderate on each, but a lot of people love the high intensity high volume work that 's where they feel like the most fatigued and we again we 've associated fatigue with progress, which is not the case because we're mm-hmm. not we're not we haven 't been properly educated on the stress response systems in the body and I think the the better we can this this i concept of that uh stress response and the the minimal effective dose like this is the simplest concept that is going to help people take off and really avoid a lot of these issues.
1: Yeah, is that training smart versus training hard?
0: So depending on the person, like Olympic weightlifter, squat every day. That's fine. Yeah. Your 40-year-old neighbor probably doesn't need to. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it the whole, like, grease the groove Mm -hmm. type of thing? That's another, and that's, uh, yeah, grease the groove. That's another, that's a thing we use all the time. If you're working on, like, a hard skill or building towards something, like a pistol squat or chin-ups or anything, just doing a couple reps at every couple of hours throughout your day, that is a low enough volume that you're not creating enough stress that you're not going to be able to recover from, even in between bouts. It keeps your movement quality high because you're ready to go and you're not fatigued. Uh, Most people would, instead of breaking that up and spreading it throughout the day, where you are going to get a much better response. They try to stick it all in at one time, which is the same issue we have with exercise versus movement. We try to exercise and get all of our movement and our intensity in at one moment instead of spreading it out throughout the day when it's much more natural and our bodies handle it better.
1: Yeah, we're, we're super active for an hour at a time and we're bums the rest of the day. When if you could just spread out your activity, you know, throughout the entire day, throughout your entire life, then we don't have to be so intense for an hour at a time.
0: Exactly. So does that, I think we've nailed that, right? I think we, yeah, we crushed it. Okay. We crushed it. (laughs) Well, uh, hopefully we'll have Nate on next week and, uh, guys send in questions. Uh, if you have them, if you have any guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, let us know. Um,
1: you You get pretty much famous if you come on our show, so I mean, I called this a show, yeah,
0: there's a group of moms that gets together and just goos and gaz over you, <laughs> so uh, we appreciate y'all. uh, get some good recovery in this week work hard, sleep work a hard, lot. hard, sleep a lot, sounds good, peace,
1: see ya.